Hi, this is Lou Rosenfeld, and you're listening to The Rosenfeld Review. This week I'm speaking with Jason Scott of the Internet Archive about, well, everything. There's quite a bit here, uh, but I think you'll enjoy it. I was introduced to Jason when I attended my first but the last uh, Brooklyn Beta Conference a few months ago uh, here in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, Jason uh, was the closing keynote. And um, he, uh, not only did he close down the the conference, he really burned it down. And uh, he did it to a standing ovation because he has some uh, pretty amazing things to say and, a, and a, a quite the incendiary way to deliver it. In fact, I don't usually do this, but I want to read Jason's bio, and I, I, uh, you can probably hear the blush coming from Jason in a moment, but I just love this bio, so here goes. This is from Jason uh, directly from uh, one of his many sites. Jason Scott is the official mascot of Archive Team, resident loudmouth, and probably the one who goes to Archive Jail when the inevitable crackdown happens. Until that sad day when he's frog walked into a waiting van for his one-way trip to Gitmo, he works on various archive team projects, occasionally coordinating and often cheerleading. He has been voted most likely to be on a show about archiving, screaming about something for several years running. So who's going to put you in jail, Jason? Um, You know, is it going to be the new boss or the same old boss? You know, fundamentally the problem is... um that some of so much of our culture right now is being put online and being put on the web, and we are depending on it, and yet we've done it with absolutely no real preparation for a world in which that exists. Like, we were so bound up in the wonder of the technology demo and being able to make it work that we didn't really say, wait a minute, we're going to actually have stuff on there that somebody else is going to hold for somebody else, and then we're never going to know when they might shut down or transfer it or sell it or anything. So we're in this weird, dark area with that. We're good with medical privacy, and we're pretty good when it comes to some basic wiretapping laws, but we're not really very good when it comes to what happens when a service shuts down. And it's been that way since the birth of the web. And and, and one of the things that one might want to do is if you see something online you might want to take a copy of it because you have no idea where what what the story is with all the things that are that are that are going on the host the writer even you the reader and so if you do that though in theory um then you are making a copy and if you're making a copy this country has decided um some time ago that the copying of intellectual property is a crime worse than murder, assault, or, um, you know, soothsaying. So as a result, we end up with a situation where we're depending utterly on things that are infinitely copyable with very little loss and yet most restricted from being copied or passed around in our history. So uh, there's this whole situation right now where everything's online and I am one of several entities who copy them to ensure their longevity, ironically having to leave it in a gray area as to who owns it and whether or not, you know, it, having it up there as a service or 
whether a person should be able to do a kill switch and act like they were never on the web. So it's a really weird paradoxical location, but you know, just the small sample we have of the 20 years, it turns out people really can make use of and really kind of need information that is otherwise lost. Well, Jason, one question I have is who is we? Because it seems like we could be a lot of different players that really need to exercise different levels of responsibility. So one of the examples that was really interesting that you, you covered in your talk at Brooklyn Beta was uh, GeoCities and how everyone said, oh, it's just a pile of crap, no one's going to miss it, but there's actually quite a bit there that um, is, is important for very different reasons to many different people. Now, um, is it the, you know, you know, whoever bought GeoCities, or I can't remember right now, but someone made that decision uh, to just turn that off. Is that Google? It was Yahoo. Oh, it was Yahoo, right. And, Yahoo. Our, and Google, they have a responsibility. Google has destroyed plenty, by the way, but Yahoo has destroyed a lot more, too. Right. So, you know, Yahoo has a certain set of responsibilities, but what about me as someone who participated in GeoCities? Did, do, do I sort of have a responsibility to back my stuff up, in effect? So, one of the things is that in the early 90s, especially when GeoCities was around, there was a real sense of bootstrapping. That is to say, I'm going to put the things up, I'm going to learn the programming enough to get it working, and I'm going to be the one who kind of maintains it and maybe puts a copy somewhere. Um, all of that was, you know, kind of floating in the air. We had computer technology before then, but this was kind of another neat application was if you put this in a file directory, this software will allow this client to read it and will actually do a lot of cool stuff with color and um, sound and um, layout. So it was very weird and experimental, but people who were using it kind of knew what they were doing enough. And also what they were putting on there wasn't um, necessarily intensely valuable on itself. Mm -hmm. Like, I put up a little bit about myself, I'm done. They didn't say, this is it, this is the moment at which I write you the song of my people. You know, this was just kind of an interesting experiment, but the trend, and the trend's been there the whole time, is to get as many people on as possible while driving the price down to get even more people on, and also to completely divorce them from any of the technical process or knowledge that got them there. Um, you know, we see this in everything, including cars. I mean, you look at a car and you open it up, especially one that's made in the last four or five years. If you open up that hood, it's this very dumbed-down piece of plastic with a couple holes saying, here's the oil, here's where you can do the uh, jump start, and not much other access. A lot of it's just, don't touch me, take me to a dealer, and um, to connect anything meaningful to it, um, you have to pay a license. And, and, and again, it enables cheaper cars, it enables better maintained cars, but it also means that if something goes wrong, you're just this little piece of flotsam uh, going back and forth saying, I don't, I don't understand anything. And when they started to make it, and they, I'm saying, pretty much the industry, mm -hmm. made it that your cell phone was basically a vacuum that would suck in whatever you gave it, whether it was your words or your pictures or your photos, and put it somewhere else. That was also not your knowledge. And extracting what that knowledge was is actually rather difficult. I mean, it's not for nothing that many companies don't have a 
telephone number. Like, there's no telephone number you can call Facebook at to get help. Like, that doesn't exist. And you also don't have any case with Google where if your uh, Google applications, unless you're paying for them, but your standard ones that a lot of people use, there's, again, no help there. And so when they make decisions, they just kind of show up. Like, we're going to have the chat bar on the left instead of the right today. Or there's a new icon for what you do. Or well, we added a whole cool concept that somebody dreamed up in Stanford 180 days ago. And now that's the way things are done. You know, and, and, and so there's this kind of, you know, it's not so much a dumbing down as a restriction. So I don't really blame people for being caught in this. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that there's a bit of responsibility that one can imagine, but I deal so much with technical people who go, well, I would have backed it up, and I'm like, that's like going to a car accident and saying, well, I would have worn my seatbelt. You know, like you're not helping the car accident. So what we did with GeoCities was when Yahoo announced they were closing GeoCities, and, and, and they did it in a really terrible fashion. Um, they basically buried it inside of a help question. Like someone said, this doesn't work right now. And they said, oh, that's because of the shutdown. So you want to do this instead. It was like, what, what shut down? And it was literally like that. And like a month or two later, eh, later in the year, and a little bit later after that, it was like, we think October. And then after that, it was like October 28th. And it ended up being like October 29th through 30th. And, and, and we watched them just kind of drop it on people. And then for years and years afterwards, it's 2000. Nine when this happened, even up to today, people are still, believe it or not, getting shocked that their GeoCity site is gone and that they have no recourse to get it back. Like, that's still a thing. And when we grabbed it and a few other people grabbed it, we only grabbed a certain portion of it because it was so large and there was no way to say, tell me everyone who's on here. We had to use basically Google searches and word searches to try to find everything we could we did a pretty good job, I'd say, considering it was all ragtag, but it was still, you know, it's one terabyte of data, um, but, but it's still, um, you know, this huge amount of history that when people see it, I think they sort of get now, like, oh, this was actually pretty important stuff. This is when people are kind of trying to learn how to use the net, mm-hmm. and now we're, now we're living the net. So let me ask you this. So, all right, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned Facebook. And one of the, the, the happy moments of my last year or two of, of life has been rediscovering writing and doing so in, in short format with immediate feedback. And, and where did that happen? In, in Facebook. Of course, now I can't find any of the stuff I've written, even though it's still up there. So that's an issue. Uh, and I, uh, you know, certainly as someone who's known uh, as an information architect, that, that drives me absolutely up the wall. So I've started to uh, write uh, more in places like Medium. Again, not a place that I control. Now, I'm wondering, you know, are you looking to kind of shape a broader conversation in a more proactive way so that they're going to be, you might help me understand questions for me to consider before I start pumping content into a new service, but also, and maybe more importantly, you know, what should Ev and friends at uh, Medium be thinking about? You know, what's, what, is there a kind of a public conversation that we should be having, or is this going to end up being something more analogous to, you know, the ADA uh, for uh, dealing with accessibility issues? It comes down to legislation before people actually pay attention to it. Oh, I'm 
thinking legislation will cause the actual change. But um, as I am not really a person who feels like lobbying government, I'm just trying to bring the issue into a bunch of coherent forms because obviously you can't really fix an issue in any way unless you can really articulate it. If you say, I, I just don't, I, I don't like it. People will be like, well, that's a shame. <laughs> Lie down and die. Here comes progress. But if you say, well, look, look what's happening. And look at these examples when people are left alone. That, that starts to join the conversation. And, and, and it has over the past few years enough that I'm held up as some sort of weird, um, I guess you would call it almost a cartoonish character to go, oh, don't make Jason Scott angry. Where's the X part function? <laughs> Where's the backup? Where's the ability to get it out again? Um, Facebook is a very special situation. Um, Facebook is where all the human culture is going right now. And they know it. And they're using it to sell things to you. And they are an ethically unfoundationed company. They don't really have much in the way of ethics. And so I um, was just at Facebook, believe it or not, a week or two ago. I conned one of my acquaintances to give me a walk over. I'd been in Facebook a few years earlier when it was one building. Now it's just a ridiculous 20-something wonderland. And I was walking up and down their food promenade with their free barbecue and free ice cream store and free barbershop, free arcade, free, 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 and just saying, you know, too bad this is all built on a huge pillar of sand when it comes to the data. But my theory... This is my new theory walking around, was eventually these guys are going to want to come off as good, and they'll drop 20 million bucks, buy a few prominent people, make a little building that's got little wooden walls and, and, um, and, and, and leather seats, and they'll have a little Facebook institute to try to discuss the long-term accessibility of Facebook. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they may just do that as a prestige project because that barbecue alone must cost a million dollars a year. So why not drop it to some sort of longevity? But they're making so much money hand over fist and they want to maintain the data and they did a very weak, weak export a few years ago. And it wasn't very well thought out and I know for a fact it was one person who designed it and then it kind of went away. And I'm hoping that that will repair. But, I mean, I literally... Like, you got to treat Facebook like the pond. It's not just the big fish in the pond. It's the pond. Right. You know, to find another place that has as much... Even Twitter doesn't have as much as Facebook. And so you got basically Facebook and Twitter with Twitter a distant, distant second. And then you've got, you know, a bunch of disparate photo services, you got things like Medium. And, and and so, you know, the landscape is not encouraging if you're a person who believes in permanence. I mean, we're only about, you know, 20-some-odd years out from all this. And already um, we've lost just legions of our early history. We've lost the first half for most extant things that made, made up the web. It's it's a pretty crazy situation, um, and, and and so as a result, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I don't, I don't get depressed. I just get angry and, and jerk like and say terrible things at companies, and and mostly they either 
You know, if they're a big company, they ignore me. And if they're a little company, they're like, why are you picking on us? We're a little company. I'm like, because you become big companies. You become right. jerks. So, okay, so those, those big companies and the little companies are probably not going to necessarily, um, uh, you know, follow a set of guidelines that people like you may develop, even if those guidelines exist, that they, they're, they're distracted by other things. Uh, it's not a great excuse, but it's, it's often the case. So let me ask you a different, uh, I wonder if we can kind of go at this from a different direction. Um, sure. If people in those settings, like Facebook, see um, somehow that they can make money off of history, that by preserving uh, information that there's some economic advantage or opportunity, uh, I wonder if that reframes the way they would look at things and if it's even possible. I, I say this, by the way, as someone who, um, uh, in my one experience as an expert witness, uh, relied heavily on archive.org to, to, to win for my client a, a $16 million lawsuit that all hinged on whether a site was a portal or not by 1997 definition of that word. So um, I, I kind of was uh, party to at least a defense of a, a pretty important monetary situation, <laughs> a lawsuit, based on preservation of... of, of uh, early web, which you guys are doing, and this is years ago, and I only imagine like there are more opportunities, whether defensively, and as I'm describing in my experience, but maybe in, in, in more active ways to essentially make money off of history. So, um, all right, so I come from a position where, on the whole, I don't trust companies to do the right thing, uh, and I certainly don't think trying, trying to reason with them as one might a rabid dog um, isn't always going to be successful. But that's me because, like I said, I've dealt with these companies and I especially have seen in the era of the patent troll and the, uh, the bizarre lawsuit that a lot of companies now simply intentionally destroy their upper management retention. You know, they'll say we only have um, emails going back 30 days or... Um, they won't allow anything to be printed out. You know, they'll actually erase their own history and then claim later, oh, we don't have any record of doing that. I mean, you can almost hear the shredders at Uber every day coming <laughs> oh over God. the web. And and so I don't really have a great faith that, like, well, if I talk crazy moon financier bastard language, suddenly they'll see the light. Um, there's certainly money to be made in history. I mean, that's certainly why we have to, you know, buy the newspaper from the day you were born. And that's certainly why you can you can you know sell history books or old photo books. They have those at every store in the town. Of here's photos from our own records that we're selling back to you for fourteen ninety nine. Um, you know I don't I don't I don't disagree that there's a market there, but it's more a case of like the retention of individual user data. Most places will feel that it's too much liability. So, for instance, um, a really good example of this is this uh, terrible thing that's shown up in the last four years, which is called the Aqua Hire. And, you know, in the Aqua Hire, you basically, you buy, it's like buying a family because you want the doll the little girl is holding, and you take the doll and throw the family away. And, and, and so they'll buy the people, but they'll throw everything out associated with their company, including all the user data, all their records and everything so that there's no chance of the virus of a patent um, violation or other 
lawsuit getting in the way. They just turn it into a bankrupt folder in a lawyer's office somewhere and never go near it again. They did. This is what I've seen. You know, and there, and there is no, there's no good actor here that I can point to. Um, uh, Twitter did it with Formspring. Uh, Yahoo did it with, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of companies. Um, Google, you know, just pushed away. I mean, they bought Deja News. They bought the technology, and then they basically threw it out. Uh, you know, like given enough time, I mean, Facebook has bought Oculus. Mm-hmm. And there's a weird one. They bought Oculus. And it's not even clear why they would buy Oculus. And now they have it. And everyone's like, well, of course they wouldn't get rid of it. They spent all this money on it. Or, or Microsoft buying Minecraft. You know, it's like sometimes they're just throwing money at something. And the first thought isn't, well, we have to save the company's history. I mean, it usually takes companies decades before they realize oh, man, we could really use an archivist. You know, Microsoft has an archivist. I've met her. Um, IBM had librarians and archivists. Xerox did. You start to get a little light after that. You know, so, so for the time for Facebook to get an, uh, an archivist, it may not be for another 10 years. And Google definitely doesn't have one. I mean, so, so this is the problem. Like it, the, the vector of our history is, like, basically random as far as whether or not a company will have it. It might just be like, a, a, uh, if you remember CompuServe, like a lot of the CompuServe stuff was sitting in a, a room in Ohio, I found out. Um, I don't know how much of it has been saved, but that's what I found out, you know, for years and years and years after what most people would think was the end of CompuServe. Um, and, and, and so on. I mean, it's, it's weird. It should be depressing. And it's annoying more than depressing for me. Because... I try to, you know, this is, if we were wrapping up the podcast, I'd make some correlation to real life. You know, real life is a lossy compression format, right? (laughs) I mean, it is. And so you can't get all hung up on, you know, I don't have every doily my mother ever gave me. Uh, I don't have, you know, all of my high school transcripts or notes that my girlfriends passed me or something. You know, you, you you can't get hung up on, oh, no, all the detritus of my life is gone. It's just that. The problem with online data is it's the paradox of it's so easy to retain and even easier to delete utterly without even a, a hope of getting it back. That That's the real weirdness of what I'm dealing with here. So trying to stay the hand to say, no, no, no just hold it another five years or, or let's just put it away on this little hard drive and we'll look at it again in five years um, to me is at least the best we can do. And I can hope for legislation. I can hope for a change in Moore's. But until then, it's, it's stacks and stacks and stacks of hard drives. So you're, you're kind of locked in a, something of a, a whack-a-mole existence of trying to get to, identify and get to problem areas uh, before it's too late. Um, and that's a, that's a tough existence. I, I, um, uh, my, my heart goes out to you as someone who... Um, coming from library science background, uh, I, I certainly know a little bit about what uh, archivists think, and I think you've got a kind of, um, you know, a lot of the traditional challenges an archivist pulls his hair out over, plus uh, the, this sort of order of magnitude, more difficult challenge of, of dealing with it in a digital space, where you are kind of as close as there is to the, the planet's archivist right now. So. 
Um, I, I want to thank you for that before the podcast is done, but then I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to turn around and, and, and probably be something of a jerk and ask an annoying question. What if I don't want my stuff preserved? So, on the whole, people seem to have a pretty light touch when it comes to understanding the legacy of their data. And I would say that the number of people who have aggressively gotten in my face or others with a non-devil's advocate question, you know, as opposed to, what if someone doesn't want it? Um, Well, first of all, you put it up for 12 years on the internet, moron, because that's what happened. You left it up there for 12 years. You let either tens, thousands, or millions of people read it, download it, put it into caches, and now you're all like, whoa, what was I thinking? But on the other hand, there's also the concern about realizing that interacting with the stuff does bring more access to it, that putting it under a new paradigm, even one that isn't commercially oriented, might increase collections. And I do understand that. It's just that I'm being honest. It's really been about a half dozen people for me. So in five years, I mean, and, 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 and there was one guy, he had cancer and he hated the world. He wanted all record of him ever being here deleted. And you know, that guy, you gotta, you gotta feel like, okay, all right. Um, and, but then other people are just more like, Oh God, I think I had like, some of them think that we had access to their private folder. So their, you know, their slash right. my drunken nude night is somehow sitting in our server. And it's like, no, if, if it was public facing, we saw it. But we don't have any, we didn't hack these machines. We didn't get some secret stuff. We, we didn't go into your encrypted files. So, so you know, um, some, that, that seems to calm people down a lot. It's like, oh, you just have the, oh, you have the part about the puppy not about the, the, the wild night. And it's like, yeah. And they're like, oh, good, I like that puppy. Well, so, so, I mean, I mean, I may be downplaying it, but, you know, uh, I mean, people should be more worried about breaches of data that they thought didn't exist than the data they consciously put up. Right. You know, to put up the 20 photos for the world to see and then be surprised somebody took the effort to save it. We get many, many, many compliments for that. Um, people should be much, much more concerned about things like, you know, having somebody out of nowhere, like, uh, not a great example, but it does, it does amuse the hell out of me. A lot of people didn't know that when they did their dissertations that the schools kind of shared mm-hmm. the copyright on it. Mm-hmm. And so when services popped up, um, um, I've forgotten his name already, Stephen whatever, Brill, Stephen Brill. Who, who did um, Court TV, and he also did a bunch of interesting, you know, Brill's content and other things. Mm-hmm. He, he was an investor in a um, company that would basically print dissertations for a fee, and you could search for really funny terms, and people found hilarious stuff, like, you know, a study, a 10-year study of the guitar solo. And the people who wrote these dissertations were flipping out, like, what's going on here? People are buying... $25 copies of my dissertation and I see none of that money? And the answer was, yes, you signed that away. But then the internet happened and then the web happened on top of it and now people can search it in two seconds. Turns out it got value. So there's a case of somebody like, whoa, I had no idea. You know, um, 
and, and and that's the kind of stuff that I think people should be more concerned about. About like when Facebook put other people's of your friends' pictures into your ads for right. a while, right? Before that got a huge like that was crazy. I mean, Facebook has been described as a lobster trap that uses your friends as bait. But that was like really explicit, right? It was like, look, your friend's photo smiling is is on this toothpaste ad. Like but, that was well that for was every pushing. major screw up like that. There's probably you know ten more subtle, subtle and and um, uh, better executed versions of the same thing that we don't even really notice until we one day uh, are that lobster sitting in the pot of boiling water and going ow. You know, you've talked a lot about uh, and it's certainly clearly an an, an issue. <laughs> running through this whole conversation about ethics, and and I what I what I really want you to do, in order to to get attention to what you're doing, is I think you should you should uh, host a, a an ethicist style column about uh, uh, personal information and and uh, and preservation and and all these topics. And I'm going to start you off right now. Is that okay? Uh-huh. So I have a question for you. I, I, this is uh, something I've already done, so it's, it's probably too late to do much about it now. But um, I had a stalker uh, in, a, in a community, in the information architecture uh, mailing list, uh, who just decided to put me in his sights and, and you know, be very nasty in public and, and spread lies uh, about me. Oh, you said this. Oh, no, I didn't actually, but you're, whatever. So um, he followed me to my blog and um, would, like, just post crap and comments on blog entries I'd written. And at one point, he just got destroyed by a whole number of people who just decided they'd had enough of him, and that was all there for the public to see. Um, a couple of years later, uh, after I hadn't heard from him, uh, he got a hold of me in a very contrite way and said, um, I-, I hate to ask, and I'm really sorry. I was just a kid. I didn't really know what I was doing, but now I'm trying to get a job. And when people Google my name, uh, your blog entry comes up number one and they don't want to hire me. And can you please, please take it down. I'll never bother you again. You'll, it's the last you'll ever hear from me. Now, my, uh, my reaction was, screw you. You made your bed and I'll lie in it. Um, my wife, who's kinder and smarter than me in general, said, you know, uh, give the guy a break. You know, people deserve a second chance. But I kept fighting against that because I felt like, well, that's history. That's something that's publicly out there, and do I really want to mess with that? Long story short, I, I basically said, all right, I'm going to set that uh, blog entry to draft and hide it, and if I ever need it, I can set it back to public. Um, what would you have done? <laughs> uh, all right. So, so um, like, there's a couple people... In my past, I've had stalkers, enemies, nemesis, uh, lovers. I've been the jerk. I've been the stalker. I've been the the nemesis. You know, I've been all these roles. <laughs> and and you know, first I think that if somebody literally tries to rewrite history, first it's really helpful to go back and look at the situation and look at it from a cold, unemotional perspective, looking back to say, was this really terrible? 
or was I just really annoyed at the time because it was the last thing I needed? You know, in other words, like, oh, this was the guy, his loud voice, he kept showing up at the parties and yelling at me. And if 20 years later you're like, it was a bunch of parties and he was a dork, I got married, I fell in love, life's good. Well, then you can maybe discuss about maybe putting things out of the public view or if you feel like it, deleting it entirely. I don't, you know, one of the side effects of what I do is people think that I'm some sort of weird, you know, permanent ink blotted hoarder of data when in fact I'm just proceeding along the theory that it becomes extremely difficult to discuss the preservation of a building when the current owner knocks it down. I just watched this happen in my town. I watched them destroy a 280-year-old building through a series of methods. And once it's down, the friends of that building Facebook group got really quiet. And so by saving data, we are keeping that conversation going. But we're doing it in a pretty random sense. We're like, okay, let's grab everything we can of this thing that we perceive as possibly having value. And when you get to the nitty-gritty, then you can make choices about, like, well, this person did this, or they're talking to us. And it's not just a wholesale destruction. And the fact is, is, you know, there will always be people who do things. Uh, I, I, I have a very misanthropic look at the world. I don't really have a lot of trust in people. I believe I'm Hobbesian, is what my now departed this year social studies teacher taught me when I was in school. I'm more of a Hobbesian kind of approach. I just don't really 100% really expect people to do the right thing every time because sometimes it's just an involuntary thing. A lack of action ends up causing the problem. Mm -hmm. so, so I feel like when it comes to things like ethics, you know, if you have a person who executed a lot of pain on others and then somehow has some weird revelation later and suffers the consequences, I think he is literally at your mercy. So I think it's less a case of, like, what should people do? It's more, what will Lewis do now that this person depends on him? Is he going to do, is he going to be the priest from Les Miserables or is he going to be the Count of Monte Cristo? You know, I mean, it's it's a case of what works for you. But that's, you know, I mean, that to me is just a human problem, not yeah. really a data problem, you know? Well, so, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it would be really, I really would love to hear more from you. Uh, and, and I think a lot of other people would benefit from, you know, talking about the ethics of uh people and data and how they mix and, and sometimes don't. Um, and I really appreciate your time today. We, we probably went about twice as long as we ordinarily would, but uh, I've really enjoyed it. Um, you know, your, your uh, tagline of profanity and insight, uh, you weren't profane, why don't we just say profundity and insight for today. Uh, it was great. Uh, thank you very much. Um, if anyone would like to uh, keep up with Jason, you can follow him on Twitter at TextFiles. Uh, you can also read his stuff uh, at TextFiles.com and at Archive.org. And thank you uh, again, not only for today, but for the work you do at Archive.org, uh, which really means so much to so many of us, I think more than we realize at times. Uh, and uh, do me a favor and say hi to Brewster Kale for me. 
absolutely will, and I'll be sure to save a copy of this interview for later. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks again. Take care.